0: Good morning. It's good to see you, all of you, here this morning. As always, it's uh, great to join together with our Hispanic ministry. So, bienvenidos, mis amigos. It's good to see you. forgot how to say that. Um, but we're going to be in Genesis chapter 20 today. And here's the thing about Genesis chapter 20, as we get in there, um, as you're flipping, as you're turning uh, to that passage is It seems to be a repeat of something we've already seen, um, and, and we've got to wrestle with that because there are some things about Abraham that we're going to learn that are not the most flattering about us because we have to see uh, our tendency and our heart in the matter. And, and we get into this, and, and the, t- the title there is Redemption in the Light of Deception, how God's redemption still works even though deception has taken place and how deception feeds in uh, to all of our lives and even how we may be deceivers. And so Genesis chapter one, I'm sorry, I don't have like this dynamic, like, you know, Grab your attention, uh, introduction or anything, but we're, we're going to just be in Genesis chapter 20 and we're just going to start there. Um, if you found your place, I do want to invite you to stand with me as we read together. If you're able, if you're not able, that's perfectly fine. Just worship with us as we read. Um, I'm going to read all 18 verses of chapter 20 uh, to you this morning. Um, Darius, I hope you can keep up with the reading. So let's go. Verse 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. He sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did she he him not Excuse me, did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told all of these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, excuse me, said to him, what what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, Why have, What have you encountered that you have done such this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought, surely there is no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God calls me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness you will show me everywhere we go. Say of me, he is my brother. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given you, your brother, a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you and before all men you are cleared. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife. And his maids, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great passages that point us to the gospel of Jesus the passages of forgiveness, the passages of redemption. But Lord, help us also be thankful for the passages that cause us to stop and say, wait, what's going on? Because in all of scripture, we have the very word of God revealed to us that we might know some sure things about you, your purpose, your plan, and how it is that you, our God, love us in spite of ourselves. Give us hope this morning. Give us peace. But Lord, help us to step from here ready to encounter a world that needs God's people to be God's people. And we ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. So this sounds familiar, right? Remember just a few chapters ago, we had this this really terrible passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham has gone into Egypt, and he has told them that Sarah is his wife, and Pharaoh takes Sarah, and and it and gets interrupted, and, and he, he gets caught in his lie that Sarah, he said, you know, you said you were my sister, she said this was your sister, but it's actually your wife, and all of these things take place, what in the world, and here it is again, just, you know, it's several years later, but again, Abraham does the same I told Christy earlier this week I said man I don't know how I'm going to preach this passage <laughs> because he did it again and then we find out in the middle of it that this was Sarah and Abraham's agreement everywhere we go just tell people that I'm your brother we find out because of the Egypt encounter that Sarah was a very beautiful woman And because of her great beauty, Abraham thought that his life would be in danger. Apparently, it was the custom in the ancient Near East that a king could just say, well, I don't care if she's married to you. I'll just kill you and take her to be my wife. Apparently, that was the deal. And so Abraham had fear for his life. Here's the deal. I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world. And I want people to know that we're married. I don't wanna go places and be like, yeah, that's my sister. No, I, I, want to be, I want to be tethered to her in such a way that people are like, man, what did he do right to be married to her? What in the world? What's wrong with her that she would marry him? I mean, that's what I want people to think, not like, oh yeah, they got the same parents. So what do we do with this? We get into this passage of scripture, the narrative lays out, I believe, in four easy sections for us to digest. Then we'll kind of get the point and then we'll kind of connect it again as has been our pattern through the book of Genesis. And we start off by looking at deception and abduction. It starts this whole passage of scripture, the first couple of verses, we see them traveling. Now, what all has all taken place has been that Abraham has been sojourning. He was called out of Ur the Chaldeans. He has gone and he has settled. We, we learned several weeks ago that he and his nephew Lot split ways. Lot went towards uh, Sodom and, 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 and Abraham took the less fertile land going towards Canaan, going back towards the west. And so what ends up happening is Abraham rescues Lot from captivity. God blesses Abraham and gives him this promise that this land will be fr- Will be very, very fertile for you, but you're also going to have a child. Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands. Abraham has a son by the handmaid Hagar. God says, That wasn't the plan. That wasn't what I promised you. Uh, my covenant was with you and my covenant was with Sarah because she's going to be the one that gives you the child. Sarah says, I'm 90 years old. I don't think so. And Abraham says, yeah, I'm 99. I don't know how this is going to happen. But God says, This is it. But all of the the wickedness of Sodom had continued to mount up and continued to raise up to where God sent angels to destroy the city. And in doing so, rescued Lot. The Bible said, God, being merciful to Lot rescued him. And Abraham says in verse in, in chapter 19 that Abraham saw the destruction from afar. But now he is traveling a little bit further east, and he comes to this land around Gerar. Now, if you're, I know that you all have the ancient Near East map memorized, so I don't need to tell you where Gerar is, but in case you didn't look at that page before you got to church this morning, Gerar is in the country of the Philistines. Abimelech, uh, his name literally means, my son, my daddy is the king, um, so, <laughs> or son of the king. So Abimelech is there, and he is the king in Gerar, which is one of the cities of the Philistines. So you know later we have some trouble with the Philistines because there was this army of Israel and there was this one really, really big Philistine. You remember him? His name was? Goliath, yeah, y'all did do your Sunday school homework. That's great. Yeah, so all of this Israel-Philistine Goliath, stuff, Israel Philistine stuff didn't start with Goliath. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Father Abraham, who, many, who had many sons and many sons who had Father Abraham. This father of the nations, Abraham, is settling towards Gerar, and Abimelech, the king, is there. But again, Abraham has instructed his wife, these people are gonna kill me because... They're going to see you, and they're going to go looney tunes, and the eyes are going to pop out, and the tongue's going to drop, and all those things, and so they're going to kill me because they want you. So tell them I'm your brother. And so they did. They told told Abimelech, they told the officials, we're brother and sister, and Sarah is taken. It says there in the passage of Scripture in verse 2, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Took her. This doesn't mean, you know, I'm going to pull you out here and you got to go. The, we keep all the ladies in this dormitory and all the men that served during this dormitory. He took her to make her his own. He took her to, 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 to incorporate her into his harem, that she would be one of his many wives. Because he had been deceived. But fortunately, it's not just the deception that takes place. Starting in verse 3, we begin to see how Abimelech was interrupted by God. So there's, destruct, there's deception and abduction. And then Abraham is interrupted by God. He's got a nefarious plan concerning Sarah. But before he could follow through with it, God interrupts him. It says there in your Bible, it says that God came to him in a dream. God, God appears to him and says, you're about to mess up, man. This woman that you have taken is a married woman. Now, as I'm looking at this passage of scripture and as I'm doing some study and looking at kind of what was the custom of a lot of the ancient Near East kings, because apparently this is a thing that they would take the women. You know, if I'm Abimelech, I'm probably frantically wondering which one. Which one was the married one? But it says that God came to him and says, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken for she is married. Fortunately for Abimelech, it's noted in verse four that he had not known her. He had not uh, consummated the relationship with her. And he says to the Lord, will you slay the entire nation even though blameless? Did this man not himself say to me, she is my sister? I want, you to, I want you to notice how, and the reason I want you to notice this is because the world around you thinks different than the gospel, okay? It says this, it says in verse five, did she herself say he is my brother? So in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have taken this woman. See, the world around you wants to tell you that, that, that sex is optional for whatever you want. Now, we've got this Me Too movement going around. We've got a lot of, a lot of things coming to light about sexual abuse and, and the way that sex is used wrongly in our culture. And I'm glad that is coming up. You know, we 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 read we read narratives about Harvey Weinstein and and Bill Cosby and all the, all these celebrities, and and it just makes me think. You know, if only there was a manual somewhere to have a proper sexual ethic, then we could all be protected from this, right? If only at some point there was a way that sexual morality could be described in concrete terms and not in fluidity to where it's okay today but not okay tomorrow. If only there was something that was given in history, right? If y'all could help me find that resource. Okay, some of you are holding it up, right? If we would see culture turn to the sexual ethic, if the church... This last week, three articles have appeared in the Houston Chronicle highlighting sexual immorality and abuse in the Southern Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us, you probably saw on something around that this is First Baptist Church of Fairburn. We are a Southern Baptist Church. These articles aren't just about some other group. This is about our collective group. Now, I want everyone to hear me clearly say, one, I am not outraged at all that the articles have appeared. I'm grateful for them. Because the Bible completely said, uh, time and time again consistently says that judgment starts with the house of the Lord. And if in the house of God, if God's people continue to sweep sin under the rug, we cannot expect culture to do anything less. Further, as we saw, remember with Lot last week, if you were with us last week, uh, the judgment's raining down and Lot goes to his sons-in-laws and says, hey, God's judging this place, we've got to get out of here. And they took it as a joke. Because he had involved himself so much in culture, he looked no different than culture, they could not take the word of God seriously coming from his mouth. Culture doesn't take us seriously because we have slept the same stuff under the rug. It is good that it has come to light because we have to deal with it. And so let me go on one step further and say, if any of you have felt that you have been abused in any way, emotionally, physically, sexually, in the walls of the church, we need to talk about it we've got we've got to come to healing we've got to come to uh, forgiveness but we've got to come to true justice one of the biggest reasons this is such a thing and it's not just the catholic church not just the baptist church it's not just sovereign grace ministries it's how we see people come to faithful justice of wrong that is done so let's go back to the passage of scripture We get in this passage of scripture and it says, In the integrity of my heart, I took this woman. The world around you is going to say, In the integrity, it's okay. It's just sex. It's okay. It's not. It never is. And God intervenes right here and puts his foot down in spite of what Sarah and Abraham says. It says, no, I am going to interrupt this. I am going to protect this because I've got something bigger that is coming out of this. So what you have to do, Abimelech, is you have to go and you have to take this woman back to her husband and you have to remove yourself from the situation. Abimelech is interrupted. Thank God that he interrupts our nefarious plans all throughout our lives it's like this passage of scripture this is going on but God he steps in so what does Abimelech do Abimelech it says starting in verse 8 it says Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all of his servants he did not waste any time he did not let anything go uncovered he called all of his servants together and reported to them what took place we've got to find this man Because this is his wife, and God is not happy about this. You know, it's really bad when God has to appear to unbelievers when believers don't present themselves as followers of God. Abimelech calls his servants, and he confronts Abraham. He goes to him. Abimelech called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? I, I, want you, I want you to wrestle with that just a second because there's some tension that is mounting here. Did you ever watch 24? Remember 24 had uh, Jack Bauer, uh, Kiefer Sutherland played Jack Bauer in the, in the TV show. So, so basically, um, you have the whole series of, of the show for, uh, for that season is supposed to be one 24-hour day and there's usually something mounting and the clock would tick, you know, tick, tick. And when it go to commercial, when it come back. And it's supposed to be a real time hour of all of these events taking place. One of the great masterful things about the writers that the writers of 24 are able to encapsulate was the tension that rose as the time ticked on. It wasn't one of the, you all knew what was going to happen. Jack Bauer was going to kill the bad guy and save the day, save the president, save the country, save everything, right? You all knew that was going to take place, but it still didn't stop the tension from rising, right? So so, so there's this tension building up because Abimelech has just gotten this message from God. Okay, um, you got some trouble, bud. This woman's married and you've taken her as your own. You've got to restore her. So Abraham is called in to the king's presence. And he's like, what have you done? What evil have you encountered that you would cause this to fall upon us? Abraham just gives the answer of, "Um, look, surely there's no fear of God in this place. And because there's no fear of God, you're going to kill me to get to her. So I figure this is to save my life and just go ahead. You're going to take her anyway, so just hand her over. It's basically what Abraham tells him. Because there's no fear of God in this place. And then he gives us a little tidbit of information. She's my half-sister. I didn't tell you a complete lie, just part of it. I only told you part of the story. We don't have the same mama, but we got the same daddy. That's another sermon for another day. We'll, We'll come back to that one later. So she is. But he left out the most important part. We are married. Now, this is something I have to wrestle with in my own heart. And this is something I have to wrestle with uh, as a dad, as a husband, as a, as, a, as a human being. Our propensity to leave part of the truth out in order to save face. And you've probably heard me say before, a uh, half-truth is a whole lie. A half-truth is a whole lie. Christian and I have conversations about this frequently, talking with their kids, Be- because... Y'all know me, you know I like to kid about stuff. How many of you have looked down at your shoe thinking it was untied, because I told you it was, but you don't even have shoelaces. I mean, technically it is untied. It's not tied up, is it? Right. We've got to come to grips with that. And Abraham is explaining to Abimelech why what he did wasn't exactly Wrong. But Abimelech is the one that takes the initiative to actually make it right. He gives Abraham's wife back, gives him servants, gives him animals, gives him silver, and says to Sarah, I have fully returned you because God is after me, and I don't want any part of this, so y'all just go and you stay away. Abimelech takes the higher road in his confrontation with Abraham. And then we find this full resolution in verse 17. There's a prayer and a restoration of what's, uh, of, uh, of the people of Gerar. It says, Abraham prayed to God. And I want you to notice the second half of this verse. And God healed Abimelech and his wife and her maids so that they bore children. Verse 18 sheds a little bit more light on this. Because the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And the reason this is important is not just because Abraham for the first time in scripture is identified by God as a prophet, not just because he prays, but because of what God is doing in their lives right here. This prayer and this restoration centers around the promise of God to give Abraham a son through Sarah. Notice the action that God took. Notice the lengths to which God would go to protect his promise. He closed fast all of the wombs. Translation: Sex was not possible, procreation was not possible in Gerar. There is no doubt about that, verse 20, chapter 21, when we find out that Sarah is with child, that it is Abraham's and not Abimelech's. God Sealed it shut. And as an act of restoration, he said, I am removing the plague. I am opening the womb. Abimelech, your wives are healed. Wow. You think God cares about his promises? you think god cares about what he has said is and will be and will not be what is and what is not do you think that god cares that he would go as far as to close off the wombs of all of the women in gerar so that there would be no doubt about the legitimacy of this promised child that's a pretty big god so you thought this narrative was about Abraham lying about who Sarah was. No, this narrative is about how big our God is. So what's the point of all this? The point that we find out of Genesis chapter 20 is that God redeems our failures in order to demonstrate his glory. God redeems our failures in order to demonstrate his glory. I want you to just think through all of this. What bigger failure do you have as a husband than passing your wife off as somebody not married to you so another man can have her? I don't think there is one. All the married ladies said, you better believe there's not. (laughs) Ladies, think about that. Oh man, you've given your life to this man. He he liked it, so he put a ring on it, right? I mean, wasn't that what you were told to do? If you like it, you put a ring on it? And so the ring's on it. The vows have been made. You've committed yourself. You've walked down the aisle. You've got all of your lives together. And there you are. You're all happy. You're going on vacation. You're driving to a new city. And you find out, he's telling folks, this is my sister. Pawns you off on another guy. Because after all, we're just brother and sister. Ladies, what are you going to do? The word murder probably came to your mind, just flashed right there across the blank screen of your mind. The question is, what kind of a failure did I marry? What bigger failure could Abraham have in knowing that God had promised to him and to Sarah that this is your land and I am giving to you a child? Than to give her off to somebody else. It appears to me that Abraham not only failed God in giving his wife away because of the the, the marriage relationship, but he failed God because this is a step away from the promise. But God wasn't going to have it. God wasn't going to have it. He redeemed the failure. And demonstrated his glory to a kingdom that didn't know him. To a king that did not know him. He redeemed his, this failure to show his glory that I can cause the fruitfulness or the fruitlessness of the womb. That's a glorious God. That is a powerful God. That is a huge God. That spares nothing in protecting his people because of his promise. He redeems failure in order to demonstrate his glory. So this week did you feel like a failure in any area? I know I did. <laughs> I know I did when I show up Thursday morning with with the with Bra- uh, Caleb and Addison to their preschool and they've got their Valentine parties and everything and I don't have Caleb's lunch or his Valentines. I'm like <laughs> I got to go back to the house and get the Valentines and, and the lunch so he, he can eat. So what do we do with this? First point of connection is to understand that foolishness jeopardizes God's plan. Foolishness jeopardizes God's plan. Most of us, I believe, would agree that it was a pretty foolish decision that Abraham made, right? I I don't know about Sarah. I never met her. Um... I know when I'm about to do something foolish when my wife's around. And, and sometime this summer, you'll know if I've done something foolish, if I'm wearing a, a short sleeve shirt, because I'll have a couple of bruises right here. She, she pinches, and it hurts. Whew. It hurts. But I forgive her, because it's for foolishness. And she'll be the first one to tell you, usually it's the foolishness of not listening to what she just said, like, don't put that cold piece of ice on me. Or don't tickle my feet. Or you know, there are little things. If, I, I wish Braden Addis Addison were in here because they, they'd be able to tell you. Usually it's because daddy didn't listen. It's, it's really self-inflicted. It's foolishness. Abraham jeopardized God's plan by acting in foolishness but folks the foolishness was not that he gave Sarah away the foolishness was that he thought that he could do better than God Abraham's foolishness was that he thought the provision and protection he could make for himself was greater than the provision and the protection that God had given him in saying, I will bless you. I will bless you in this land. I will bless you with a large family. And by your family will all families be blessed. Abraham thought he'd get away with it. Maybe that's the point of foolishness that you and I could relate to most. We think we can get away with it. Foolishness jeopardizes God's plan because we place God in the back seat not thinking that he, the eternal righteous judge, sees our heart, sees our motives, sees our action and knows we think we can cover it and handle it ourselves. And sometimes we walk in a season of barrenness. Our soul and our spirit is dry. There is no fruit. There is no joy of the Lord because at some point we jeopardize what God promised us by stepping out into foolishness and walking in the way and the pattern of the world. We do it with finances. We do it with possessions. We do it with sex. We do it with substance. We do it with you, you name it. We substitute false gods We deceive our heart, our hearts deceive us. We deceive ourselves by thinking this is better than what God has planned. And unfortunately, I know too many people who have known that God had a dynamic call on their life that in foolishness jeopardized it and were not used. Oh, good grief, I could tell you We didn't need the Houston Chronicle to tell us of pastors who were gifted by the Spirit of God to proclaim the mercies of God that threw it away for foolishness because they thought that woman was better than the woman that God promised them or God gave them because they thought that finance, that venue, that street was the way to go. But it's not just pastors. It's all of us. We step into a way that walks away from the plan of God and in foolishness, we jeopardize everything that God has shown us he is doing in our lives. Foolishness jeopardizes God's plan. In in the life of Abraham and throughout scripture, we see a plan and a promise that coincide with one another. God's plans are always tied to his promises. And God's promises demand that our lives um, be preserved and pure. His promises demand preservation and purity. They demand preservation because God has promised in Christ that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. If you were in Christ Jesus, he holds you in the palm of his hand and he will never let you go. That's a promise. You are preserved through fire. You are preserved through trial. We had a great discussion this morning in college Sunday school class about Job and and, and how in God's sovereignty sin was permitted and whether or not Job was protected from sin because God said you're not going to sin in this so he had no choice but to sin. We had a great discussion in all this. And ultimately what we came down to was that God knew that Job was one that would rest on the righteousness of God and the protection of God. No matter what Satan and circumstances, whoever, whatever force we want to throw behind it, ultimately it's demonic force through towards him. And so we get into this and there is this preservation because of who we are in Christ. We've been made new. We have a father who preserves, but it demands our Purity. See, preservation is God's work. Purity is what we must commit ourselves to. Now, if you believe that God has promised you something, you are obligated by the cross of Jesus Christ to walk in fidelity to Him. That, that's purity in the promise. That means that we're not stepping towards foolishness. Oh, man, that foolishness looks good, though. It looks good. It, it's like committing yourself to a diet but always, always going by the deli bakery section of the grocery store just to smell what they're cooking. We, I used to always laugh when we lived in South Carolina because there was a shopping center and, and right here there was the, the Weight Watchers place. You go in and do your weigh-ins and all that stuff. But I kid you not, in the distance from that pew to that pew was CeCe's Pizza. Nothing says Weight Watchers like an all-you-can-eat buffet, right? Woo! Load up with the carbs. Sometimes I'd want to go in there and get like a chocolate chip cookie pizza and stand outside the door of uh, the window of the Weight Watchers and just eat it, just like like I was doing. I never did, but you know, I thought about it a lot of times. <laughs> but that's how we approach the promises of God. We know we're supposed to be in here, but oh. Well, this right there looks so good. Folks, let me tell you, purity's hard. And we like to, in our culture, regu- relegate purity only to at matters of sexual morality. But purity stems through all of our fiber to all that we are, our honesty, our integrity, how we proclaim ourselves as followers of Christ through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the power of the cross, through the blood, we ascribe to the name of the Lord such glory and honor and might and majesty on Sunday. Then Monday. Foolishness just kind of seems to creep in. Such foolishness. God demands purity because he's promised us everything in Christ Jesus. I had to redo the third point this week. Let me tell you why. One, I wasn't really sold on what I had initially play, placed in, 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 the, in the outline for Joy to run in the bulletin. So I had to send her a text message Thursday morning and say, hey, I hope you haven't run bulletin yet because I'm about to change something on the sermon. Hope to have it up, updated here in just the next couple hours. Um, and, and, and here's what I came down to, is that even in our failure, God's love will defend us. Even in our failure, if, if, if God redeems our failures because of his glory, we've got to see that even in our failure, God's love will redeem us. And, and this struck me, I was driving down the road, um, I had just you know, failed to take Caleb's lunch and Valentine's to preschool for him. I was on my way to the house to get his school bag. Uh, Christy was in South Carolina. Her, her stepfather had a stroke this week, so she went to be with her mom and, and take care of things. Things are good. Thank you for praying for the family this week. Those of you that know, um, no evidence of stroke. It's, it's amazing. That's another story, but it's all of God's glory and God's timing in that. Um, and, and so... I, I'm, you know, I'm on dad duty and, and trying to do all the stuff that she does flawlessly um, you know, as a dad. And so I'm going back to get Caleb's bag and his lunch and everything and so I can get it back to the school. And a song by a man named Matt Marr came on on the radio. And, and Matt Marr is, is, is a Christian worship leader. Uh, you'd know a lot of his songs. Um, some of them we've sung here. Uh, some of them Chris Tomlin took and made his own because that's one of the things Chris Tomlin does. Um, and, and, and this one was called Your Love Defends Me. Your love defends me. And as I'm driving, I'm thinking, that's exactly what happens to Sarah and Abraham. In spite of their failure, God said, no, I have made a promise and I love these people. They are the chosen ones that will bear uh, the line from which my son Christ Jesus will be born to redeem the world. I will defend them. And so he goes to Abimelech and says, you can't do this. He goes to Abraham and says, Abimelech goes to Abraham and says, what have you done? But in all of it, because of the glory of God, he protected and defended them in their failure. I am standing here today because in my failure, God's love has defended me. God's love has for some reason, though I did not deserve it, protected and preserved me so that I could be doing what I do today. Many of you are sitting where you're sitting right now because the love of God has defended you even though you tried to throw it all away. God's love will defend you if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ. It's not worth chance. It's not worth the foolishness of thinking that your way could be a better way than what God's way has described in the word of God to been described in the word of God to be. His love defends you and it's his love for you that has you here now to hear truth. Don't throw it all away. Come to the one who gave it all for you. Come this morning to Christ Jesus.